In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You may be seated. Well, here we are, the second Sunday of Easter, commonly known as Thomas Sunday. And uh, although it would be appropriate to, to preach on Thomas today, I'm, I'm going to use the gospel primarily, but pull up a little short before we actually get to Thomas. Um, but as we think about Thomas today and, and that faith, we will be uh, thinking along the lines of Thomas. But I should, but I should also say that I, I have spared you a sermon on the monastic life. Um, today's Old Testament lesson from the Acts of the Apostles, that's what happens during Eastertide. We often read the Acts of the Apostles. That text from the Acts of the Apostles and that psalm that we chanted tonight, Augustine of Hippo has a beautiful sermon about how those two texts establish the monastic life. But instead of preaching that tonight, I'll just encourage you to buy my book when it comes out in November because I talk about it there. And, and then I think it's a win-win because you're not sitting through that sermon and you've bought my book. So, um, but I want us to look at the Gospel of John tonight and, and start noticing some things. And the first thing to notice is it was the evening of the day. It's dark outside. The, the evening darkness, I think, signifies the absence of Christ the light. So we need to get our minds back to that period between the death and perhaps news of the resurrection, right? And the fact that the disciples still aren't completely sure what to make of everything. They're still trying to figure it out, if you will. I mean, a week or eight days on from Easter, most of us have recovered right? Whatever we gave up is probably back in our diet, and the busy run of three services in a row for me is over, and I've recovered, and, but we need to put ourselves back into this room with the disciples, and think about the darkness, and think about how that indicates the absence of the light of Christ from among them, and even the doors being locked. They're, they're so fearful. We'll talk more about that. They're so fearful that the, fearful that the doors are locked, right? They're, they're afraid, they're afraid of the Jews who would put Jesus to death. They don't know what's going to happen now as his disciples, right? So Peter has this story where he was like, hey, when I was in the courtyard and people started noticing me, I got scared, you know, like so much so that I denied Jesus like I said I wouldn't do. But, you know, that's beside the point. Like I was scared, people. You know, we should be scared. Let's lock the doors. We don't know what's going to happen as disciples of Jesus. And so there they are in the upper room. And I don't, I don't blame them for this. I don't think of this as a sign of weakness or a lack of faith or anything like that. They're simply trying to figure out what is going on, right? What is happening? The man who we had followed died. He's been resurrected. But the Jews are hearing the story of the resurrection. Things are happening. What are we going to do? Well, let's, let's get up here where it's relatively safe and lock the door. Right? So that's the context of, of where the gospel starts for us today. Right? So at night, no Christ, doors are locked out of fear, and there they are doing something collectively, probably wondering what's going to happen to us. And then all of a sudden, Jesus came and stood among them. You know, before Hollywood figured out it would be cool to have things like this happen, here we are in the New Testament with a group of people sitting in a room, and the next thing you know, there's Jesus right? It doesn't say he came in the door. It doesn't say he knocked and they opened or anything like that. Just Jesus came and stood among them. He simply appeared to them in their fear, in, their upper, in this upper room, in this locked room. He shows up and he stands among them. 
Now, this is interesting because back in John 14, Jesus had said to them, I am going away and I will come to you. Right. So he had already said, I'm going to go away, but I will come to you. And then here they are in this room and it's happening. I wonder if in that discussion before Jesus showed up, if any of them were saying, well, he said he was going to go away, but he did say he was going to come back. Right. What will that look like? I wonder. And then again, in John 16, 16, Jesus had said a second time, a little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. So were they thinking about that? And then there was that other time where he said, for a little while, you're not going to see me. That's probably the death, guys. But then in a little while, you will see me again. What do you think he meant by that? Right? And then, boom, there's Jesus. The question would be answered. There he is, standing in the midst of them. And he shows them his hands in his side. He begins that gesture. But as he's doing it, what I love about this is, is you know, this is, you've heard me say this before, right? The Lord be with you right? And with your spirit. I always tell you to gesture because I imagine Jesus, as he was gesturing here, said, peace be with you. Shalom, right? A word they would be very familiar with as both a mix of Jews and Gentiles, but also those who are familiar with praying the Psalms, right? Shalom, and he's standing there and he's showing them his hands and he's showing them his side. And then the text tells us, then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. I bet they were, I bet they were very excited to see the Lord because it was starting to answer questions for them. Or at least it might have started immediately to dispel the fear. Right? And then Jesus says to them again, peace be with you. And it's that phrase, peace be with you, that I want us to think a little bit about this evening. Back in John 14, again, to think back to right before he told them the first time he was going away, but he would come back again. He said to them, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And then I am going away and I will come to you. See, he had already set them up for what was happening. Whether or not they had understood that, whether or not they were thinking about that in this minute, it's hard to know. But Jesus had already said, my peace I'm going to leave with you. I'm going to give you my peace. Right? And by giving you my peace, it's going to keep your hearts from being troubled. You don't need to be afraid. You have my peace. I will give you my peace. So by giving his disciples his peace, he's driving out of them the fear that they have experienced at his death. You know, but yet before his resurrection in the sense of like they haven't come to full terms with the resurrection. And so Jesus gives them this peace in order to take away their fear. You don't need to be afraid. The peace of God is with you. Right again, they had locked the doors. They were fearing the Jews. They were afraid people. They needed this peace to drive that fear away. And so Jesus shows up and gives them this very peace, this shalom. He removes their fear then by incorporating them into communion with the Father and into his own mission to redeem the world, right? As he goes on and says, after the second peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. 
If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And now if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. But Jesus said, not just peace be with you, relax, don't be afraid. No, peace be with you, don't be afraid. Let me get you involved in the Trinitarian life and the mission that I am all about. Right? Come with me. Let us do this work together. The Father sent me to die and to rise again for the salvation of the world. Now I want to draw you into this work I'm doing. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Now, I don't really know the time sequence here, but this is a rapid change of events, right? They went from being in this room with the door locked and darkness in the absence of Christ to having Christ in front of them, offering them his peace, and then telling them that they're going to be involved in the mission that God had sent him to do. Now, I imagine, though this peace is going to drive out that fear, I'm sure it's not instantaneous, and there might be disciples going, wait, you want us to, to do what? Right? What's this work you're going to do? Because there's like some pretty angry people outside of these doors. Right? There's stories about what's happened. What exactly are you calling us into? But the text says, and when he had said this, I imagine no time really elapsed here. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. I wonder if they knew what hit them. Kind of literally. <laughs> right? Because if you think about Pentecost... Right? When the Spirit came into the room with this rushing sound of wind and flames started alighting on people's heads and people spoke in tongues and languages they didn't know, wow, that, that's, that's quite a show. We don't know what the show was here. Right? We don't know how the Spirit came upon them. Did it evidence anything? Did it, did it make a change in them immediately? I don't know, but, but what, I, what we do know is that he equips them for this work by giving them the gift of the Holy Spirit anticipating the universal gifting of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. So first, he gifts the spirits with the Holy Spirit so that later he will gift everyone to be involved in this work. Right? But that sequence is so rapid, within a matter of minutes, they go from fearful disciples to, I assume, somewhat fearless disciples because of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And this peace wasn't just a mere greeting. Hey, guys, here I am. How's it going? Right? Jesus didn't breezily enter the room and say, is everything okay here? Can I help you with anything? No, it turns out this peace that he shares with them is a share in the mission of God on earth. And then in particular, it's a share in the forgiveness of sins. Now, theologically, this is where things get interesting to me, right? I mean, it's one thing to say, I'm going to get you involved in the work I'm going to do. It's like having your kids out, you know, when you start teaching them how to do yard work, or if you can recall, if you were taught how to do yard work, and I don't want to say anything about today's generation, but I've met some students who just don't know how to do yard work, so maybe some of you are still waiting for that moment. But, you know, it, when you invite someone in to start learning something, right, you know, you, you kind of tell them what to do, and then you expect it'll, it'll kind of sort of get done, right? You may have to come behind them and clean up a little, or you may have to, you know, go back and say, no, actually do it this way. That'll be better. I remember the, the, we were painting something at one point, and it's like, well, maybe it's time to teach the kids how to paint. And I remember thinking, oh, what's going to happen? You know, like paint of all things, right? But you have to, you have to take that chance of uneven paint in order to teach someone. And so I feel like God, Jesus is ratcheting this up. He's like, I'm not just going to have you involved with me, you know, in my mission. Like, Maybe go out and bump into someone on the streets and 
If you feel really bold, you can say something to them about me. Right? Like, no, instead he says, hey, I'm going to give you this peace. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to get you involved in my work. And you know what it is? I'm going to give you the power to forgive sins or not to forgive sins. That's incredible. I mean, that's, that's kind of like not teaching someone to do something and then giving them the responsibility to do it, right? But this, this forgiveness of sins, John connects it with the gifting of the Holy Spirit, right? In other words, as Jesus breathes the Spirit on his disciples, John concludes that that is an empowerment to get involved with Jesus in the forgiving or not forgiving of sins, Remember that back in John 1, verse 29, Jesus is called the, quote, Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in chapter 8 of John, verses 34 through 36, Jesus says, Everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin, but if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So again, this theme of sin and the taking away of sin is there in the Gospel of John, and now we see Jesus inviting his disciples into it. And as one commentator wrote, by incorporating the disciples into his own mission, Jesus also gives them the authority to take away people's sins. That is, to administer God's mercy through the power of the Holy Spirit. Some people want to interpret this text of John as if this empowerment is for the disciples, the men, and those disciples went and made other disciples priests, and thereby it's the priest's right to forgive sins, right, in the act of the reconciliation of a penitent. I don't think that's all that's happening here. I think Jesus is empowering all believers through the power of the Holy Spirit to forgive or not to forgive sins. It is God's mercy administered by the church through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's for everyone. We are stewards of this treasure that God has given to us, of the forgiveness of sins. And so as a result of this ministry of forgiveness and mercy, we could think about our readings from the Acts of the Apostles briefly, right? So there we are told that the believers were of one heart and one soul. They had everything in common, and God's great grace was upon them all. There was, a, there was a unity to these early disciples. There was a, a camaraderie, a shared mission, an actual sharing of things. And that sharing of things may be impractical in the 21st century to some degree, but they had all things in common, but they were of one heart and soul. And that's, I think, the more important thing is they, they were united in their identity. They were united in their fellowship and love of one another. And it was because they were extending that mercy, that forgiveness of sins that God had entrusted to them. You see, when you engage in this, in this forgiving of sins, you create community. Now, we don't forgive every sin unless the person is penitent, right? There needs to be a true desire to want to change in order to receive God's forgiveness. But as we, as we offer that forgiveness to people, as we extend God's mercy through the ministry he's entrusted to us by his Holy Spirit, we are bringing people into community and not just our community, but the community of the church, the one that really matters. Doesn't mean that they would come here to Epiphany, but if they come into the church, they are in the church of Jesus Christ. And so the Acts of the Apostles, the reading tonight, shows us how these early disciples became one with one another in heart and soul, and it really lays out for us this, this model, this example, which is why Augustine said most Christians can't do it. It's the monks. That's what they're talking about here. And as much as I want to entertain that as a scholar of monasticism, that is not actually what the text says. It does not say, and then for those who could, they went off and did it. 
And the other schleps couldn't do it, so they just stayed outside of the monastery. No, instead, this is the picture of the church. And I think it's what happens when the church, through the power of the Holy Spirit, taking seriously the peace that God extends to us through the work of his Son and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, that we can come into this kind of unity. And not just, again, us in this room, not us as a parish, not us as a diocese, not us as a province, not us as a communion, but the church of Jesus Christ. So this Easter season, we, we remember that as Jesus' disciples, we have the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. Sure, on Pentecost, we're going to make a really big deal about that. We're going to put on red vestments and tell you to wear red, and we're going to make a big deal about this coming of the Holy Spirit. But let us even now, through Eastertide, remember that God has given us the power of his Holy Spirit. He dwells within us. That power resides within us, and it makes it possible for us to be people of mercy and forgiveness. And by being people of mercy and forgiveness, by extending forgiveness to people's sins or withholding it if they're not repentant, we create a just and a good community because we become people of one heart and one soul. And that's the way in which the resurrection of Jesus Christ goes out from that room with those initially afraid disciples into the world and into our very parish. This is the way in which the resurrection touches our daily lives individually and our corporate lives as a parish. And so let us bear this in mind. And mostly not just bear it in mind, but let me take a moment to say, those disciples in the book of Acts weren't just thinking about how good it would be to be of one heart and mind. Wouldn't it be cool if we could all share things in common and really support each other? No, they did it. It wasn't a thought project. They did it. Action. And I'll talk more about this at the announcements, but at the end of the month, we have the opportunity through the Love La Mirada Saturday to get involved again in this community, to partner with other people who care about not just the community, but care about people and care about the people that live in this community. And so, for example, in just a few weeks, we have the opportunity to put something like this into action. We have opportunity to be empowered spirit people to go out and help build just and good community. But apart from even an opportunity like that, again, let us meditate and think on these things. Let us think about the fact that Jesus still offers us his peace, that he still empowers us by his Holy Spirit. And that as Easter people, as our colleagues said tonight, that we won't be people who just think about the resurrection, that we'll be people who live out the resurrection. So let's go and do it. And when we leave here tonight and we pray that prayer for God to send us out to do the work he has given us to do, let us remember that that work includes the work of forgiving or not forgiving others and extending God's mercy to everyone that we meet. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.